Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Khan and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship and building in public. This episode is called The Infrastructure of a Calm SaaS Business. And first, a word from our sponsor. Get a practical nuts and bolts business education in just 15 minutes a day. Check out the $100 MBA show where business school dropout and successful independent entrepreneur Omar Senem shares real-world lessons on starting, growing, and scaling your own business. On the $100 MBA show, Omar shares what he's learned over years of entrepreneurship, including building his own SaaS company from the ground up with zero outside funding. From book reviews to special guests, Q&A, and more, the $100 MBA show offers lessons that you can put to use right away, whether you're an established entrepreneur, a side hustler, or just someone with a business idea. I really recommend listening to the podcast. There's a lot of insights. So subscribe to the $100 MBA show on your favorite podcast app or check out 100mba.net. That's the $100 MBA show on your podcast app or 100mba.net. This episode is also sponsored by MicroAcquire. And MicroAcquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace. And it's simply the most efficient way to sell a startup when you're ready to make your next move. And typically as a first time founder, you don't really have any idea what you're getting yourself into when you go through an acquisition. It's your first time and hopefully you last. And MicroAcquire wants to change that you don't have any idea and then empower founders like you when they're speaking with buyers and really just help streamline the process of getting acquired for the maximum price only sell once without any headaches. And to date, MicroAcquire has helped hundreds of startups successfully get acquired, and they've facilitated hundreds of millions in close deal volume too. So if you're thinking about selling your startup, you'll want to check out MicroAcquire. So go to microacquire.com to learn more. And now, let's get started. In the frantic world, Calmness is not found in reaching a state or a goal. It's found in structure, process, and ritual. A calm business rests on a foundation of intentional infrastructure choices that allow these activities to flourish. And a SaaS business has two major components, its technical product and the operating system that allows you to sell that product consistently. Today, I want to share with you what a successful calm SaaS business looks like. You'll find that it has plenty of components that require a giant set of skills to operate, but don't worry, you'll get there one element at a time. Some will be processes, others will be tools, and there'll be plenty of services that you'll be using too. Together, they'll form the technological foundations of your calm SaaS business. I'll start with the things that your prospective customers get to see when they first run into your business. And most of the time, that's either your product or some kind of message aimed at getting them to check out your product. And with a software as a service business, it's a good idea to look into the details of the software product at the core of the entrepreneurial engine first. But before we get to the fun technical part, one general piece of advice, and you'll hear me say this a lot, whatever you build, make it abstract enough to be swiftly replaced. It starts with your database, but extends to everything you do, whatever email marketing system you pick. Ensure that it can import and export all your data from and to new systems. If you work with a tax advisor, make it easy to stop working with them and shift your data to another one. Software allows you to build things intentionally, to have a lot of flexibility in them. And you don't want to end up building something around a particular service only to see them go out of business and then resulting in you scrambling for weeks to change over to a new solution. 
Many careless founders had their businesses evaporate because they believed one of their dependencies would be around forever when it didn't. And now let's dive into the tech stack, the thing you've been waiting for all this time. Let's start with the software product, the backend. The backend is where your business lives from a founder's perspective. It's the brain of your service. And any SaaS business needs some kind of data storage and data manipulation system. And that's what a backend is all about. It's your database, the place where users upload their files, and the engine then converts one kind of data into another. Almost all software businesses eventually have elaborate backend systems that are responsible for providing the value that customers pay for. If you build an image uploading service, your backend will receive the files, convert them into different formats, and then store them on some kind of file storage service. All these things are background tasks, and the backend is where it happens. And backends exist in many shapes, from service that you physically built and maintain yourself to almost completely hands-off infrastructure as a service solution to the cloud. The latter can be a bit more expensive, but still, it will make your day-to-day -day life much calmer when you know that your most critical component is supervised and maintained by someone who, unlike you, can devote their full attention to the system. Most SaaS businesses start with a reasonably low-complexity backend, maybe just a small server connected to a small database, and over time, as the product grows and increases in form and function, you might want to extend your core infrastructure into things like message queues or backup solutions, file storage, and many other types of components. You'll find a solution that will grow with you over time if you make it easy to switch services easily. Now let's talk about the other side, the front end. Most of your customers will consider your front end to be the thing that they pay for. Technically, it's just a digital facade that communicates with your backend services, but most non-technical folks won't ever make this distinction. Look at all the things that we commonly use. Facebook, Twitter, Google Docs. Those products do things on the surface, but they're really just interfaces to incredibly complex backend services. Twitter isn't just a website full of memes and funny tweets. It's a very lightweight frontend, the Twitter web interface that we use, that connects to a global network of backend services in dozens of data centers worldwide. The website is pretty snappy, as any good frontend should be, but the heavy lifting is done by tens of thousands of computers in the background. So if the frontend is the sleek and elegant interface that your customers see and pay for, you can expect to spend a lot of time making it work well and look nice. And this is where user interface design and the concept of user experience come in. Just like there is a whole science to door handles and how to make them as practical and straightforward as possible, you'll find that a lot of people have a lot of opinions about the frontend of your software solution. And to make things worse, those expectations vary wildly between devices. What works great on a desktop computer might be hard to use on a mobile device. Then iPad users, they ex expect things to work in specific ways, while your customers who access your service from their work laptops might need something else entirely. Whatever platforms you end up supporting, consider that they all come with their own expectations and limitations. Generally, I recommend using a design system to make your interface feel coherent and map onto existing expectations among your customers. There are lots of UI frameworks, such as Tailwind CSS, that come with some solid defaults and can be used right out of the box to build amazing software with pre-designed components. You'll find systems like this on every platform that you want to support. 
Now, you've probably asked yourself what particular choices you should make for these crucial parts of your business. What's the best programming language to build? What's the best design system to use that's the easiest for you to really build something with? And using well-established technologies that have proven themselves to be useful for backend development and frontend is a good choice. Over the years, many open source frameworks have been developed that come with vibrant communities that will help newcomers build their products. And the same goes for front-end development kits. Decade-old frameworks still perform more adequately and allow new entrepreneurs to quickly prototype their products. You don't need something new. Don't fall for the shiny object syndrome. Many newfangled solutions will be all the rage in the developer community and for founders. They might be a bit more modern and slightly easier to use. Still, they come with the massive risk of becoming abandoned in the near future. Old solutions are likely to stick around for much longer. And that's called the Lindy effect. And it's been true for many technologies. The longer something has been around, the longer it's likely to persist in the future. Ruby on Rails has been around since 2004, and it's still powering a substantial amount of profitable SaaS businesses in many industries. So choose boring technology. You find that in a world where every day represents new and unexpected challenges, having a reliable piece of technology as the foundation of your business is a tangible way to reduce stress and anxiety. And sometimes not building all the components yourself is also a really good choice. It's always a good idea to be able to program, to code, or at least to know somebody who does. In a digital world, Having mastered the language of machines will make things that others struggle with for weeks something you can solve within minutes. But even if you want to build a SaaS business, you might not need to know how to code. At least, you probably won't need it to get started. The no-code movement is as old as digital technology. People have always wanted to be able to build programs and websites without having to learn the underlying abstractions. In the past, tools that allowed you to do this were called what you see is what you get. Today, we call them no-code solutions. These tools range from fully featured platforms with which you can create fully featured mobile apps to integration tools that glue together other platforms. No-code means that you can build things just by configuration without having to write code, but most no-code tools allow you to extend functionality by adding code snippets. And projects with this hybrid approach are called low-code services. Really, no matter what you end up doing, you will have to deal with limitations and dependencies at some point. Building everything yourself means you have to maintain and update your product all the time, but you may be the most flexible. Using no-code tools means you can build something solid very quickly, but you'll notice that you're restricted by what the platform allows you to do. Eventually, almost every SaaS business ends up being a fully code-based project. But you can start with something less complex for sure. Learning how to code it's not necessary to get the ball rolling, but you want to become or find a developer when the pre-built solutions are too limited for your entrepreneurial vision. That really depends on your product. And you need to communicate that vision. Every SaaS business has a landing page, a website, or an app store listing dedicated to convincing prospective customers to try out and eventually purchase a subscription to your product. Landing pages can be anything from a handmade HTML page to a no-code-based blog engine like WordPress or Webflow. 
If you want to have an easy time in the future, make sure that the landing page is deployed independently from your actual SaaS product. Many founders make this mistake. They integrate the landing page into their product because it's easier, but then they end up having to deploy their whole service, everything, which is never without risk, right? You're deploying a running system just to fix a typo in a blog post that they made. Using a dedicated content management system for your marketing pages and any potential additions, such as a blog or knowledge base, will allow you to implement a tight separation of concerns, de-risking your business. And the landing page can be a single page that includes everything your customers might want to know. It'll get more detailed over time, and you'll likely want to branch off information into individual subpages. A good landing page communicates what's in it for the customer and how their lives will improve after using the product. It also displays your pricing very clearly. Doesn't need much more. At the later stages of your business journey, you'll add sections for use cases and comparing your product to competitors and many, many more things. But for now, focus on selling the world after using your product and be clear about the cost. A simple landing page means less work and will do more for you than a complex and confusing behemoth of a marketing page. But there's more when it comes to marketing than just your landing page. Your email service provider, the one that you pick, is a pillar of your prospect and customer nourishment strategies. Because no matter what social media platform you end up doing most of your acquisition marketing on, you want to have your customers' email addresses, and including those of your customers-to-be, so that you can reach out when you need to. Introducing your features, changing to your pricing model, or anything else you want to tell them will be so much easier if they're used to receiving emails from you. So use an established service like ConvertKit or MailChimp here. Ensure that their pricing structure is aligned with their user acquisition plans. And some of the services charge a lot of money for huge audiences, which isn't a problem if you have just a few hundred high-paying customers. But sending emails can be quite expensive if you run a freemium SaaS business with tens of thousands of free users and only a handful of paid accounts. So research your options to figure out which services SaaS businesses using similar business models use. And since your product will be mostly web-based, you'll also need to have a grasp on search engine optimization. Google and its minuscule cousins out there are where prospective customers look for your service. At this point, we move away from tangible software tools towards a more process-based infrastructure component. SEO is a practice, not a result. So learning how to be effective at ranking on Google is the first step, but ensuring every new piece of content adheres to these concepts is an ongoing concern. And the same is valid for communicating with your prospects in social media. Having a process in place to learn from your potential users and establishing feedback loops with them in their communities is essential to your marketing and sales success. Observing a community starts out as a manual act. You regularly go there, you visit the communities, interact with your prospects, but over time, this gets augmented by software tooling like Get the Audience or Sifton, services that listen to your communities for you and alert you to the interesting and time-critical conversations. Community observation doesn't just make for good interaction. It also allows you to learn about the industry that you serve by listening what people have to say about it. And that knowledge is worth something itself. It's potential content for a product-adjacent newsletter. Most email service providers allow you to send regular newsletter issues to your customers. And this is a great way to stay in touch with your customers, keep them informed about the product, and then educate them about your industry. This increases your reputation as an expert, further cementing their choice to use your business. Anything that increases your retention is at least worth considering. And particularly in the case of email, that's true. 
it's not just for marketing, or rather not all marketing is telling people cool things about your product in an email. Helping them with resources, guides, and tutorials is critical to communicating with your market. Many customer service tool providers have understood that communicating via email is an essential step in helping customers succeed using their products. Now, I'm a big fan of a holistic customer success tool like Intercom. If this is a bit too big for you, you can find individual tools that you combine into a similar system. But no matter what tools you choose, the idea of customer success is to provide two main ways for people to find help, a synchronous and an asynchronous way. Synchronous support is helping a customer through a chat widget or phone call. Async help answers questions via email and allows customers to solve their problems themselves by providing a self-help knowledge base. Using software tools to avoid lengthy customer service interactions can easily offload a significant percentage of your non-product work. And that's a good thing. That's particularly significant at scale. If you run a low-touch, high-margin, straightforward SaaS business, you might be able to avoid having to deal with customer issues almost entirely by providing a self-service help desk. My co-founder and I were able to deal with over 5,000 active customers without having a customer service agent for years just by having a well-organized and searchable knowledge base that integrated into our customer chat solution. Whenever customers asked the question we had answered before, the system would suggest the appropriate article and we wouldn't even see these conversations because our customers didn't need our help. They read it and did it by themselves. Customer success is a mix of tools and process. It takes tooling to make these workflows possible and then a well-defined process to create the content and articles that make them work. The process will become apparent over time. For now, it's important to know that it's worth writing down every response to every customer service interaction you have as it can be helpful next time someone else asks that question. The process of documenting and structuring tasks within your business starting with customer service replies, might be one of the most important things you will ever do on your entrepreneurial journey. And this is no wild euphemism. It's the reason why SaaS businesses get acquired at ridiculous multiples. It's why every day a solopreneur somewhere becomes a millionaire, selling that niche business that serves a fraction of a market in some obscure industry somewhere that you've never even heard of. A well-running SaaS business is highly automated and well-documented. And if you build it right, you don't need to work in it at all. All you do is to work on the business. You'll replace your own work with the work of automated systems, freelancers, and eventually employees. And that's what makes your business so sellable. You're not needed to run it. And all the things someone needs to run your business are codified in a central document containing all your processes. And that's your business manual. Writing this operations manual for your business is one of those open secrets of successful entrepreneurship. When you start treating your business like the first branch of a franchise, you start thinking in repeatable and ready-to-be-optimized processes. With every single standard operating procedure that you create, you move one step closer to building a sellable business. And even if you don't intend to ever sell your business, your business manual will make your business better. You make fewer mistakes, you get through tasks faster, and then have a much easier time handing over work to your future employees. How you create this document is completely up to you. I recommend something shareable like a Notion document or a Google Doc, but you can create it any way you like. Set up a wiki or keep it all in a Word document or write it out by hand if you have to. As long as you consider every action you take to be a potential SOP, you'll end up with a handy business manual over time. 
One thing I learned while building a SaaS was that it's usually a good idea to create the SOP directly after you execute the task for the second or third time. By then, you'll know what's important, what's flexible, and what other information is needed. Most niche SaaS businesses are intentionally small in team size, and you can get to a sizable level of revenue just with automation and good documentation. But at some point, you're probably going to need help. Initially, you can outsource this work to freelancers. There are many experts for hire that will work on a per task or per project basis. And over time, you might want to integrate the most reliable freelancers into your business as contractors, maybe even as part-time hires. Eventually, you'll grow to a level of workload where it makes sense to hire your first full-time employee. Most SaaS owners need help in one of two areas. Either they need a second developer beyond the technical co-founder, or they need help shielding the core team from too many customer service requests. Whatever it will be for your business, consider hiring help when you notice that the other parts of your businesses are suffering because you spend so much time on the thing you don't want to do. If you've been diligent with your business manual, you'll have an easy time sharing the relevant parts with your new hires and they can hit the ground running. Whether it's just you, with a few freelancers or with a team of 50, you will eventually need communication tooling to keep the conversation going within the business particularly when you're building a remote-first business, you will need that. Chat-based solutions like Slack or Discord are prevalent in most SaaS businesses because they allow for synchronous and asynchronous communication while having also integration into other tools. For example, when your server experiences a malfunction, you get a warning in Slack. Or when a trial user becomes a subscriber, a celebratory message is also posted in Slack. Your chosen communication tool becomes the central hub of all your business's events, and it's the pulse of your business. Beyond that, you'll also need several tools that give you insight into the health of your technical systems. Any service will experience complications, and you must be on top of those as soon as possible. So here's a list of the services required in order of importance. First, uptime monitoring. Making sure that you know when your service goes offline is paramount, and hopefully that happens before your customers even notice. The second is error tracking. Learn about software errors as soon as they happen, often without your customers even noticing. Then there's backup generation. Most services have that built in, but it's generally a good idea to establish a process that creates reliable backups of your data and the data of your customers. And then there's application performance monitoring. At a certain point, you'll find parts of your software being slower than others, and a good APM system will help you find and remove those bottlenecks. And that speeds up your service, and that eventually saves you money. There are many other kinds of services there too, like A-B testing solutions or user onboarding tools, but they're not very critical to your business from the start. They might become a core component of your infrastructure at a later point, but the four I just mentioned are the ones that you might want to look into from the start. And then you need a way to make money, right? That's your product. But you also need a way to take money. That's your payment provider. Many companies act as this intermediary between you and your customers, allowing them to pay you without having to jump through the hoops of compliance that someone who directly takes credit card payments would need to. There are several varieties of these payment providers, bare-bone services like Stripe that allow you to securely capture payment information from your customers and then charge them on an ongoing basis. But anything beyond what they offer is yours to build, like sales tax or implementing purchasing power parity pricing. These things need to be developed by you. And that will take time away from your product. And there's the other end of the spectrum. There are full-service solutions like Paddle, which aren't just bridging payments like Stripe would do, 
they become a true business intermediary. Your customers are their customers, and you receive a lump sum reverse invoice every month over the generated revenue. Those providers are called merchants of record and can be a stressful solution for founders who instead work on their product, then implement the latest changes in EU taxation regulation. It's for them to build. Either kind of platform will charge a fee for you to be able to collect money through them, but it's definitely worth it, as most of your customers will use credit cards to pay for your service. Having the security concerns shouldered by someone else, someone with huge security teams and the means to build a secure gateway will calm your anxiety over your financials. But don't calm them too much. No matter how simple your country's tax law is or your sales tax law is, you always benefit from letting an expert handle your taxes and your accounts and your payroll, even if it costs you a bit every month. Leave these things to the professionals. You don't want an audit five years from now to come back and haunt you. Get things right from day one. And when you start your business as a side project, you probably won't incorporate it into its own company immediately. While you're figuring out if your business is worth your time, it will probably be a sole proprietorship. You are the business and the business is you. Most countries have some sort of small business structure that allows individual entrepreneurs to get started without having to set up an expensive corporation. But beware, with this ease come a lot of risks. When there's no distinction between you and your business, you bear the full liability for your business efforts. And if something causes significant damage to any of your customers, you'll be personally liable. If they sue you, courts might go after your house, your savings, and everything you own. For that reason, it makes sense to set up a corporation for your business soon after you see some traction. A limited liability company might cost you some money to set up, but if you do it right, it will shield you from personal liability. Be mindful, though, there are laws explicitly aimed at piercing the corporate veil, this liability protection you gain, in case of fraudulent or deceptive use of your business. Make sure to learn from entrepreneurs who've done this before and consult a lawyer to get it right. Another thing to consider is business insurance. This can further reduce liability or at least reduce the financial requirements of potential legal conflicts. If you offer a mission-critical service that touches payments or personal information or mission-critical data for your customers, you need watertight plans for the worst-case scenario. Otherwise, your founder's journey will be anything but calm. It's imperative to think about these hopefully unlikely events before they happen. And there we have it. A mostly complete list of all the components of a prosperous, calm SaaS business. Quite a few. And if this seems overwhelming, don't be alarmed. You'll grow into understanding these things as you tackle them. Many a successful business was started with nothing more than a landing page and a rough prototype, wrapped into a site project that eventually grew into a fully featured enterprise. It looks like a feat bordering on magic, doing all of this and still having something resembling a normal life. But consider that the secret of walking on water is knowing where the stones are hiding just under the surface. Knowing what's going to come your way is half the battle. The other part, the exciting part, is going out there and building a business. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my book series to sold, The Embedded Entrepreneur, and my Twitter course find your following there as well. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.